stuff is we go through, just read through books of the Bible together and see what's going on with what God's Word has to say week by week by week. Um, and generally that's what we'll do here. So this, this message, if you're fresh with us, um, we're going through the book of Galatians. Where Paul is talking about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live the Christian life? Uh, and I want to say this before I really get started. Uh, there's one of these copies of this book. There's two copies on the book table over here. This is by Tim Keller. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's just a sermon that he wrote. Uh, it was really helpful for me today as I wrote this and as I thought about things. But this is a great, quick read. Spend half an hour. Think about it. Um, it's really about what does Jesus' work in your life do? Um, what does it mean to be able to forget about yourself and just be able to live? Um, and not have to worry about what do other people think about me. Um, it's a great book. I read it about two or three weeks ago. I thought it was so, so helpful. Um, so it'll be on the book table over there. There's also some RUF swag in terms of stickers, if you're interested in that. Um, yeah, we'll get started. Um, so I'm serious when I say that I think this place could be is a place for friendships. Uh, I'm serious when I say that I think it's a place for relationships. And so I'm going to share something with you all that I share with friends and I share with people that are close to me because I want to be close with you all. Um, I don't talk about this often. I know I've spoken about it with some of y'all before, but when I was in college, I went through a really, really hard, really serious depression. And after college, for the first year and a half, I was really depressed too. And I had friends uh, and people that I knew and loved and respected tell me, hey, you should go see a counselor. You should go talk to somebody about this. And I thought, I think arrogantly, um, counselors are people who are weak. Counselors are people who can't get their stuff together, can't figure their problems out. Um, that's not me, but months kept going on and months kind of dragged on out. And finally I got to the place where I was like, fine, like, I have to go see a counselor. This is too bad. Um, this is too hard. So I drove two hours from my house in Auburn, and I drove to Birmingham where uh, I had an appointment with a counselor. And he greeted me. He was super warm. He was super friendly. He was this kind of big teddy bear of a man uh, with, like, this huge shock of, like, red hair and this big, fat, like, red beard. And uh, we sat down in his office, it was like warm orange lights, and there was this whir of a sound machine, and he just, he was there for me. He talked to me. And I told him things that I never told anyone before in my life. I told him things uh, about myself that I didn't even know about myself, but which were just impacting in really profound, really, really powerful ways. Things like, I never thought that I was worthy of love. I hadn't known that before, but that was really what I was operating out of. And the way that impacted my walk with God was that I thought that there were all these ways that I had to serve him in order to be his son. Or there's all these ways I had to serve him in order for him to like me. Or for him to finally kind of sign off on me. And my counselor just week by week just kind of broke those things down and helped me see that I was really God's son through faith in Jesus. That Jesus has given me all these things for free. This beautiful relationship with God. And I was living out of a place of real slavery, but really at truth, I was his son. And I can remember going home and just, as I drove those two hours back, just bawling in my car and listening to Sufjan John Stevens' Vito's Ordination song on repeat. <laughs> and it was so good. And it was so healing. And what's crazy is that counselor didn't tell me anything up here that I didn't already know. But there's so much in here that just I didn't believe. And I tell that story, not going to try out my own baggage, but 
Because I want you to know that sometimes you need another person to apply truth to your life. You need another person to help you really believe the things that you say you believe. That can be a friend, that can be a mentor, that can be a pastor, your parents. But I think a lot of times we can feel as though we, can, we have to take hold of this stuff on our life, in our life on our own. Like, I want to let people know the real me, but if I do that, then what? But on the other hand, if I don't let people know the real me, then what? And you get paralyzed by that fear. And what we need is someone to come alongside of us and not only to speak truth into our lives, but also to create that truth. To give us a sense of place, a presence of really God's work. That you're his son, you're his daughter. If through faith in Christ you believe. What we need is the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So now we're going to look at two things. Is who is this spirit? Who is this counselor? Who is this one who advocates for us? Who is he? And two, how does he work? Who is he? How does he work? I'm sick. I don't feel great. So hopefully um, this will go all right. If I, if I sneeze something terrible under Wilson, my apologies. Uh, <laughs> this is Galatians 3, 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let me pray for us and get started. Father, um, you work by your spirit, and you work by your word. And Lord, you come to us through hearing by faith. And Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear tonight. You would give us eyes to see. Lord, we always need you. We always depend on you, even when we don't feel like it, it's true. Lord, I pray that tonight we would know that dependence. We would know your work. We would know your spirit. Um, Lord, that this wouldn't just be words on the page, it would be words written in our hearts. By your very finger. Words that would heal us and make us whole. Words that would bring us into community, into real relationship, into real friendship with one another and with you. And we're sitting down to pray. Amen. Um, so, who is this spirit? Let's get started. You know, I don't want to pretend that everyone here believes uh, all these things that we talk about every week, but this is what the Bible attests to, so that's what I'm going to say. Um, but the Christian view of God is there th- that God is three persons. Equal in substance, in power, and in eternity. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And for, for I think a lot of us, that that's, that the Son and the Father are easier for us to connect to. Like, we may not be fathers, we may not be sons, but at least we have seen a father or we've seen a son. Um, we have a sense of what that is. But sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we kind of scratch our heads, right? Like, a spirit? Like, I get father, I get son, but what is a spirit? I think it's definitely harder to conceptualize. But it may be easier to think about what does the Spirit do. This Holy Spirit is separate from the Father and the Son, but He comes from them to do their work in their, in their, in their name. Uh, and He does primarily two things. He creates and He recreates. 
You see, the Bible starts off with God's Spirit hovering over the face of the earth. In the very beginning of Genesis, it was by His Spirit that God created the world. So the mountains that we love to hike in, the woods we love to camp in, the beaches where we love to wear tanks and cutoffs and tan on, like, God made that through His Spirit. He created all of these things, and He cares about the state of the world. I think, at times, the idea is that God is some distant entity that really only cares about spiritual things, like way out there on some other plane. But that's not true. That's certainly not what the Bible says. God made the world, if you can forget the pun, to him, matter matters. But not only does he make the world, he's also in the process of remaking. He's in the process of remaking us and our brokenness out of our sin. He enters into our lives and he applies the work of Jesus to our hearts. Jesus' merit, Jesus' right standing, growth in Jesus' character and wisdom come from the work of the Spirit. And this is why Paul asks here, if I've begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And by flesh he means that residue of that old self before you knew Jesus. That those old wants, those old desires that by nature are opposed to God. Paul's asking, did we initiate with God or did God initiate with us? Did I do something or say something or make something that forced God to have mercy on me? Or did God have mercy simply because He's good? And if God is the one who started the work, won't He also be the one who finishes it? So that's who the Spirit is, that He's the finisher and the starter of God's work. So this takes us to our second point. How does the Spirit work? How does He work? In John's account of Jesus' life, in John's Gospel, he tells us that on the night when Jesus was about to be betrayed, Jesus is eating the Passover, this Jewish feast with his disciples. And the Passover was symbolic of the way that God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus, the Passover land that we just kind of sang about there, is sitting there and he's getting ready to free this true act of freedom where he frees us from sin and death. And he's sitting there and he's spending time with his friends for the last time. And they're eating and they're having this conversation and he's saying last things to them as they're sitting around this table. And he's referring that he has to go, he's saying he has to go away. He's talking about his death and his resurrection, the fact that he's going to go and be with the Father. And what's crazy about what he says is that for him to leave is for the best. Because when he leaves, and pay attention to this, the Helper comes. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. That for Jesus, his plan to leave and send the Spirit isn't plan B, that's plan A. In other words, the best thing that Jesus could do is leave and send his spirit. And this is why this is important. Y'all, the word that Jesus uses for spirit, helper there, is so rich. It can mean helper. It can mean advocate, like a friend who stands up for you. It can mean counselor, like what I talked about earlier. But it can also mean legal counselor. As though there's this legal sense where it's like if you were on trial... And you had the confidence that you could beat the charges. No matter how bad the rap was, you could be the OJ of heaven. And you knew that your legal defense was good enough. Yeah, I I made a reference to a 90s court case. That's right. (laughs) But you would have the confidence that you would have the best legal counsel in history on your side. And you could beat that rap. Because the helper is there with you. And y'all, this is huge for us. Because a lot of us can feel like we are on trial. Day in and day out, and especially, I think, at this time of the year in midterms, 
It can feel as though you are preparing a defense of yourself in some way. As you study, as you type out that huge paper, that you're going to turn this thing in, or you're going to write this test, and when that thing gets turned in, the prosecution and the defense are really going to go at it. And everything that you've done up to that point will either be providing evidence for or evidence against you. And you'll be finding out if all that hard work will pay off. Or if who you are is really worth it. And y'all, this is all of us. This is me too. I remember a couple years ago, I was going to RUF training for the first time as a campus minister. And I was pretty jazzed. I was excited. I won't lie to you. Is jazz the word people still use? Uh, <laughs> uh, I've been involved in RUF for four years in college and super committed. I worked as an intern for two years. I finally finished five years of graduate school. I was walking out of there with two master's degrees. And, you know, my ego was about this big. Like, I was walking to those doors. I was like, I get RUF. I can do that ridiculous, it's not ridiculous, it's a great diagram, great diagram, of the tree and the fruit and the branches <laughs> that drop for all of you all about ten times a week. I could do that in my sleep. I knew theology. I had a master's of counseling. My ego was huge as I walked through those doors and into campus minister training. What I hadn't realized was that in all those years, what I'd really been doing was preparing this defense for myself, either for the prosecution or for the defense. And what I'd really been doing is I've been working to be in as a campus minister. That I'd worked hard, that I'd learned all these things, I'd put in my time, and that when I hoped was that when I finally walked through the doors at staff training, that I would kind of be the guy. That I'd have this like magnetism or this charisma or that'd be funny or wise beyond my years or this great preacher automatically or like whatever. But when I walked in there, my ego that big, it immediately shrunk because all these other guys were just, I was just another guy in the room. And nobody thought about that. Nobody cared. It was all right. Nobody had the patience to me. But I wanted all this attention. I wanted all these people to look at me and sign off and say, yes, all those degrees, all that education, all that hard work. But what I felt was, daggone, I'm still the same person. I'm still just me. I'm still just Simon Stokes. That none of those things could or would justify me. They couldn't make me into the idealized person that I thought I had become or that I could become. And I know that some of y'all get me when I tell that story. Because externally you're achieving like, great things. You're doing all this stuff on campus. You're working hard. You're really changing the campus for the better, right? And you're going to go out and you're really going to change the world. Or maybe you came to Carolina and you got this awesome scholarship and you joined some really cool clubs and you're looking for a leadership position in some of those things and you're probably going to get it. But internally, you're looking around and you're realizing, man, I'm still the same person. I'm reaching my goals. I'm hitting my marks. I'm working hard. But inside, am I really that different of a person? Am I content? Can I stop gathering evidence for myself? And for my worth. But look at what Paul says here. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What's the crucifixion a scene of? It's a scene of judgment. Earthly speaking, it's a, there's a courtroom, right? There was a trial and Jesus, unjustly, in a kangaroo court, is found guilty and he's crucified. But on a cosmic scale, in God's eyes... 
the end result is that Jesus would bear the weight of our sins and he would be judged guilty on our behalf. He's in court. And Paul is saying, there's this courtroom that's happened, and it's over. Don't you see that? Don't you get that? We spend a lot of our lives in this internal courtroom trying to justify ourselves. But the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of our advocate, the work of our legal counsel, is to tell you that you are out of the courtroom. That Jesus went into the courtroom for you. And he went on trial for you. And his trial was unjust. And he was a victim. And he was struck. And he was beaten. And he was put to death on our behalf as our substitute. That he faced our trials so we don't have to face any more trials. And the job of the Spirit is to get you out of court by applying that righteous verdict that Jesus got and he received on your behalf to you. And then he's going to sit at your right hand and he's going to counsel you. And he's going to remind you of that verdict. That it's already finished. That it's already over. That before your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And then he's going to work in your heart all the benefits that come with being connected to Jesus. Over a period of your life, his wisdom, his patience, his kindness, his love. So that one day when you're 80 years old, you'll be that sweet old man. Or that sweet old lady that whoever walks into your house is going to immediately feel like they came home to their grandpa or their grandma. Because what it will really feel like to them is they came home to Jesus. And that's the work of the Spirit in your life. And all you need to do now is to ask God to accept you based on Jesus' trial for you. And when he does, the only person whose opinion that really matters looks at you and he finds you as right with him as his son. And more precious to him than all the silver, or all the gold, or all the whatever there is out there in the world. And let me say this to those who are new here. And maybe you wish you believed this, or are still trying to figure out what you want to believe about this. Um, and maybe if you're from the South, or from North Carolina, or whatever, there are a lot of people that you've met who call themselves Christians, and kind of consider themselves, maybe on the upper end of the scale, and they go to church, and they hope that one day God will like receive them, but they're still doing the courtroom thing. Just the kind of religious stuff. And you've seen that and you get that. But let me say this. That true Christian identity takes you out of the courtroom. And the trial is over and the verdict is in. And you are free to go. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And if that's new to you, then I would say keep looking. Keep asking questions. That RUF is a place for the committed and for the tired but also for the skeptical and the agnostic and the atheist. But I know there's a lot to think about here. And I know that I've just covered a ton of ground. Again, there's just a huge 50,000-foot view of this. But keep searching for answers. So why did Jesus have to die again? Why did he rise from the dead? Is he really the Son of God? How do we know? Keep looking and understand the picture. Wrestle with that. Figure that out. Look at this from lots of different angles. But maybe you're here and you're in a different place and you believe the gospel for a long time, but you keep finding yourself back in that courtroom anyway. And you don't feel like you're living by the work of the Spirit, but you feel like you're living by the work of the flesh and you're trying to oomph things up and just put in those verdicts and try to, try to convince the prosecution, or try, to, try to convince the defense. And y'all, that's exhausting. And I'll say this really briefly. That twice here Paul tells us the Spirit works 
by hearing with faith. Hear what? Hear the gospel. Hear that you're out of the courtroom. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you are God's beloved child. That he who, had, he who knew no sin became sin that we would be right with God. Hear those things. Keep coming to a large group. Sing this stuff. Take this deep in your bones and let, just let it <laughs> marinate there. Think with, of, over it. Process it. Join a good church and you'll hear, and hear that message. Or be a part of our freshmen or community groups and work through that with the people around you. Let people in on that. Get a group of guys. Get a group of other women and talk about this. Work through this with people. You don't just need the counselor as a spirit, but you need the counselor, your friend. You need the person in the hall. You need that older guy, that older girl who can come alongside you and be like, I get it. I've been there. I'm still wrestling with it. Me too. You need that. I need that. Finally, who in your life needs to hear this? Who in your life needs to hear these things? Bring them here. Bring them with you and together hear and speak and serve and marinate and live out of the gospel together. And live in this truth and live in this grace and live outside of the courtroom. Because that's what Christ has done for you. And that's what the Spirit tells you. And that's His work in your life. And to be honest, that's the Christian life. So come and live that together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your kindness and the winsomeness of your Son. That he draws us to himself through the work of his Spirit, through the work of his Word. Lord, that it's true, that it gives us hope, that it tells us truly what he's done. Lord, that he died on a cross that we would live. Lord, that he bore our sins that we would have no more sin. Lord, would you help us to feel as clean as we are in your sight? Would you help us to persevere together? Would you help us to hope together? Would you help us to speak truth in one another's lives? As counselors, as friends, as advocates, as your voice, as your hands, as your feet, with one another and in your world. And your sons, and we pray. Amen.